Welcome back to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, where today on our Women in Tech series, we are joined by Mary Drummond, CMO uh, of Customer Experience and Insights, more importantly, a fellow podcast host at the Voices of CX podcast. She's passionate about consumer behavior, has extensive experience in marketing, uh, market research, specifically around customer experience and customer experience management. Very keen to explore that. Uh, as we've said on prior shows, the CMO uh, role is the one that's tipped the scale in favor of women in tech. It is now represented to the tune of 40, 51%, I beg your pardon, uh, by women in that space, which we're delighted to announce. But more importantly, welcome to the show, Mary. Hey, thank you so much, guys. It's uh, It's my pleasure to be here. Tell us about your journey. We always like to kick off with uh, you, your journey. And, and we often say, you don't wake up in grade school saying, hey, I'm going to be a CMO one day and I'll work towards getting mm -hmm. often. It's a kind of an accidental uh, journey of folly. Tell us about your journey and some of those decision trees. What were those kind of uh, avenues and, uh, you know, forks in the road you went through uh, to take you to where you are today, if you want to share with our audience? Well, I, it's interesting because I just got off of a, a mentoring session um, with someone who's really amazing in the market and is trying to move into a more strategic role. And one of the things that I shared with him is that there, there are so many great marketers out there and, and knowing how to push buttons and, and knowing how to uh, set up campaigns and get things rolling, it's a great skill to have. It's a dime a dozen. There are so many out there, you know, and the difference between a mid-level marketer and a senior marketer, or the difference between and someone who's operational and someone is strategic, truly has to do with leadership. It, it truly has to do with the skills that you cultivate in order to identify talent, enhance talent, and orchestrate talent to work together to produce something beautiful and magical. So there, I, I don't know many chief marketing officers who are, let's say, really good at operational marketing. That's not the skill that's being identified and the skill that's being boosted. So my path doesn't come from traditional marketing. It doesn't come from certifications and marketing school. I studied education. It's a completely different background. Um, I eventually founded my own company. I was an entrepreneur and I ran my own business for 10, 11 years. And, and that's what built in me leadership. It's what built a macro vision. It's what built strategy. It's what built looking outside, looking at the market instead of looking inside and, and being able to empathize with the people that you're targeting and finding out not only what they need and what their pains are, but what they expect from their relationship with you. So I think being at the top and, and being a senior leader really has to do with honing those skills and not necessarily the technical skills that go around marketing. Now, if you don't have any of those technical skills, you're absolutely going to fall flat on your ass because if you don't understand what your team is doing and you don't understand how your team is struggling and and what their day-to-day -day looks like then that's not ideal as well so i think it's a blend and a mesh of understanding and uh having basic skills in all of the attributes of marketing 
Yep. But then really focusing in and and using your 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 energy to become better at the orchestration element of it all. It's funny you say that. My brother is a leader of 85 people. He started his own business right out of college himself. And um, he wasn't operationally efficient in, you know, marketing, but he's learned it over the years and he's enough to give direction. His definition of leadership is a leader brings certainty in an environment of uncertainty and and clarifies, uh, Gordon Gecko says, cuts through and clarifies, I guess, but brings a level of stability to an uncertain situation where outcomes are seem uncertain. Would you agree with that? And do you feel leaders are born, not made? What does that look like for you? I I 100% believe in that. What I always say is that you have to be prepared to know that the buck is going to always land on you. If you have a, a giant team or a small team of very brilliant individuals, or maybe not so bright, but most of the time, if you're a good leader, you're hiring very competent, efficient people to oversee certain tasks. And if they have used up all of their energy and their willpower and their skills to try to come up with a solution and they can't, that means the decision lies on you. And it, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to always make the right decision. It means that you are okay with being wrong, that you're okay with running the risk of being wrong and failing because you understand either the importance of that decision, you understand the repercussions of that decision, and you've got the bird's eye view to try to, in the circumstance, make the decision that's going to have least negative impact on the company as a whole, right? So at the, at the end of the day, you, you're the one that has to make that decision. It also means that you're the one that's maybe not going to sleep at night because you're trying to weigh out all the pros and cons of that decision. And, and it means being extremely comfortable in discomfort a lot of times. So a huge part of this role is being an individual who thrives in circumstances that a lot of other people run away from. You know, it's it's being the the person who sets their foot in uncharted territory and goes first and kind of leads the front and charges because you're not afraid of the unknown. You're not afraid of challenging the status quo. And and so much of that is personality. But that isn't to say that personality can't be built, right? It, it is a skill that that comes over time, but so much of it has fruit in the way that we were raised, you know? And when I'm raising my children, I'm constantly pondering this and I'm constantly considering this. What do I need to do? What do I need to give them? What challenges do I have to pose to them in order to make them be fearless when it comes to entering the market and working, you know, how can I set them up in a way where they are respectful and understanding of the consequences of their actions to, to a degree where they're not taking it lightly, but that they're not afraid of making decisions. And it, and it has to do with weighing out um, the outcome of that decision. You know, you know how both of you have children, I'm guessing. Yeah, we do. Yeah. yeah. So when your kids were little uh, and, and they were kind of learning how to walk and kind of touchy feeling their way around, if you were constantly protecting them from everything, 
then they would be crippled because they'd never have the opportunity to go out and face it on their own. So when you, as an adult, as a parent, analyzed a situation and you said, okay, if they fall, they may bump their head, they may scrape their knee, they may get a boo-boo, they may cry, but all of these consequences are acceptable, right? Versus if they touch that outlet, they're going to die, <laughs> right? So it's, it's, it's understanding that when, when failure isn't going to have grave consequences, sometimes just going for it and giving it a, a good shot and giving it a try and allowing people to make mistakes and learning from their mistakes is actually great and positive. But when there's more on the line, that's when you truly have to step in and be a lot more careful and be a lot more intentional and a lot more guarded. So yeah, that, that would I'm be glad, my I'm, I'm really glad that, that you brought up the topic of, um, of fear. And I think that um, leaders have a special relationship with fear. Um, and the, my own definition of leadership is, is to create outcomes that would never have existed uh, or would never have occurred in the absence of leadership. So, so what happens is, right, you have a past-derived future that's going to happen anyway in the absence of leadership. And then when leadership is there, they create a different outcome um, based on, um, you know, the elements, I suppose, that are crucially important for any leader to have, which are, you know, commitment and integrity and authenticity and all of these other elements that are hugely important. Now, fear for me is hugely important because um, the goal, and uh, in, in, in I'm trying to, trying to uh, implement this myself on a daily basis, my personal life, my, 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 my professional life, is that you have the freedom to be and you have the freedom to act. And if you can get to that utopia, um, fear doesn't exist in that domain because it's an illusion and 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 you know we we all have a backpack strapped to our back of you know kind of being in the future of you know well what if this happens or what if this doesn't happen or in the past of you know uh this is kind of the reasons potentially that i'm afraid right to be in this situation because i don't want to look unsuccessful or i don't want to seem stupid or i don't want to you know and I guess we all carry around th those fears. As a leader, um, I think most of the coaching is done by how you show up. Would you agree with that? How you personally show up in every situation. And as Ross said, give people the confidence that there is nothing that can present itself that you are not confident you can lead through. Yeah. Well, I, what I would say is it's, it's not about the absence of fear. It's about being afraid and acting anyway. Right. I, I mean, I think that that's the, the crucial element. That's what courage is, right? It's, it's not that you're not afraid is that you're able to decide and move forward, even though you are afraid. And, and this is, I think, a quality that you see in great leaders. And, you know, my husband is an entrepreneur. My husband is a CEO. And I, I see this every night when, when he lays down in bed, there is fear there. There are so many scenarios that are going through his mind. There are, there are so many variables that depend on him making the right decision and making the right call. You know, there are 
so many stakeholders. There's customers that have signed contracts with the company. There are investors who've put money in there. There are employees who have dedicated their lives mm. and are risking their, their families. Um, Let you know, me ask I'll, you this, right? If, if you're walking around and you're consumed by fear um, mm -hmm. in, in various situations, um, and how do you think you show up if that is your baseline? Mm. I, that's a difficult question for me to answer because I struggle empathizing with it a little bit. Um, I, I've, I'm afraid all the time. Fear is, is extremely human. It's, it's what keeps us alive. It's a survival mechanism, right? It, it tells us that there's eminent danger, whether that danger is real or not. It, for some reason, some past experience that we have tells us that there's danger there, right? It's fear is a, a mechanism of the central nervous system. Right? And the subconscious. Yeah. So, so really yeah. it's, it's, it's your, the human and your human being is running you unselfconsciously yes. and it serves one purpose, which is to protect you, but that's not very effective in making no. decisions in the business world though. Well, I, I think that that's where the, the courage comes in, right? It has to do, um, one thing that my, I have a, a therapist and a counselor that I work with. And one thing that she says is, is, is understanding when fear is being triggered by something reasonable and unreasonable. And, and it's being able to collect yourself and ground yourself in that moment and look at your surroundings and find out where that fear is coming from, identifying what's triggering it or the origin of that fear and not allowing past experiences to stop you from moving forward. Right. So you see this all the time, especially with survivors of traumatic situations or PTSD, where they have to relearn um, what safety means and what fear means because their body and their mind is constantly sabotaging them. Right. So yeah, I think like, that, and, and that you gotta go upstream. And You're right. You know? Yeah. You got to go. You got to go upstream on kind of like you said, the origination of that. But but really to mm -hmm. kind of ask yourself what occurs for me when that happens right and you know and and then kind of um you know all of the other stuff when you go downstream it's just content it's and it's yeah. not relevant and yeah. it's just and it has to do with having really good self-dialogue and and being very aware of yourself and knowing yourself you know and i think that this is something that we achieve over time which is why i feel a lot of leaders tend to be a little bit more senior in years because they know themselves and they know what they're capable of and, and they know what holds them back and they can actively proactively work to overcome these restraints that are all in our minds. You yeah. Know? So look, this stuff um, in, in terms of leadership, right? Um, it sounds to me like this is really important to you. Number one, number two, it, that it is something that aligns for you um, in terms of helping other people, right? I can really feel mm -hmm. that. Um, the second thing is that you have put a lot of work and dedication into um, understanding yourself, but also to how you can be a better leader outside mm -hmm. of the domain of marketing. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, um, I, I acknowledge and honor you for that. Um, so in terms of your role as, as chief marketing officer, um, can you tell us a little bit about what separates the good ones? I mean, you've mentioned leadership, um, you know, as one of the differentiators or the main differentiators from a strategic perspective. Um, if there were any aspiring 
marketing directors, VPs of, of marketing that want to kind of get to, into your seat or get into the CMO role, what should they be thinking about? Um, and also um, kind of what is, uh, what, what makes these days, uh, what makes a, a world-class CMO? I don't think that the CMO's job is to rep represent the marketing department in the okay. C-suite. The job of the chief marketing officer is to represent the customer. They oh, are the ones that, that guard, they are the guardians of the customer inside of an organization because they're responsible for the messaging. They're responsible for everything that goes inside the company out. Right. So they're the ones that deal directly with the customer. And, you know, people say, oh, this customer service. So sure. But who's setting the expectations for, for what the customer expects and what's the brand promise that's being put out there? And how is that affecting people's desire to be a part of your organization, to purchase from your organization, to stay with your organization? You know, and, and when you're sitting there in a board meeting, your job is to represent the interests of the customer, because if you're not, then who is really, you know? So I think that that is one of the big things that's changing a lot. We've seen a lot of companies adopting, you know, chief experience officers or chief customer officers to play this role. But ultimately, ultimately when it comes down to it, I believe that, that the most competent person inside a company to do this job is the chief marketer. And, and, being able to keep the customer's experience front and center and, and set that as your North star in everything that you're doing in marketing. The, the one thing that I would challenge marketers out there to do is instead of being threatened by chief experience officers stepping into companies, why don't you try to learn a lesson? If organizations are having to nominate a whole new individual to do this job, then why don't you consider that perhaps you should have been doing this all this time, you know? So yeah, I, would I think say it's that an evolution though. Changing. Yeah. I, I, I don't disagree with that. I, I, I think also partially though, would it be fair to say that it's um it's and now listen, I, I, I know loads of people and I'm probably one of those that kind of cracked this 15 years ago. It's not, it's not a major revelation that you know you should be interested in 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 ensuring that your customers win and that yeah, groundbreaking win. groundbreaking. Yeah, yeah. So, but it's like how to do that, right? And and I think it's there's you know the the concept of you know alignment with sales and marketing first, and then and then there's the 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 kind of wider element, right, on the functional areas from from product right through to you know customer success and that whole customer lifecycle, that whole, that whole journey is hugely important because there's so much value can be unlocked in that whole journey. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think that, you know, people have passed the baton from, you know, one functional area to the next and very clumsily in, in, a, in a lot of ways. Right. But um, it, I, I think it's just been so difficult for someone to grasp and own that whole kind of holistic view of you know the customer but i think everybody should be thinking like that in an organization um it doesn't mean you have to do it it doesn't mean you have to do every single part of that journey right but it means that you need to think about that i mean so for example right you know that um having customer success involved with customers before you even close the deal to give them a sense of you know this is this is what's common, right? And this is how, how you know, you get the concierge white glove treatment 
um, and that kind of thing. I think I think those things work. But from your perspective, right, from the expert's perspective, talk to us about CX and like what's your definition of it? Um, how do you how do you do it right? Um, you know, I'm sure Omnichannel is going to feature, you know, in in part of your answer and all that kind of stuff. But um, tell us a little bit about about demystify customer experience for us. Before I answer that one, I'm going to take one step back and answer yeah. a question you asked a little bit earlier on. Okay. Which is, you know, how do you how do you know? It, it seems pretty obvious that everybody in the organization should be looking out for the customer's well-being. It, it seems intuitive and it seems logical. So why why does it not happen? You know, and and especially when we're talking about tech, since we are talking about you know women in tech and what is it that tech companies are are potentially getting wrong? in all of right. this, you know, well, one of the things that really drove tech was to be customer centric based on data. And, and this was really interesting because we we're stepping into an era of machine learning and, and we have that resource at our disposal where we can process enormous uh, num- amounts of, of data and, and draw insights from them. And uh, that, that's something that the, the CMO of the past didn't have. Right. So when you have things like predictive analytics that are looking into customers' transactions and studying so much of, of, of the, the historical um, data on customers, it it's it becomes very easy and it's very tempting to base your decisions solely on that quantitative data because it seems so logical and it seems to make sense. Right. But but quantitative data, it, it says what it says when it says how how much it says so much about the customer's journey but it doesn't tell you why it doesn't ever reveal what's motivating your customers to make their decisions day after day right so so i think the part that's missing in tech because we get so attached to numbers and to analytics and to data that we forget the human aspect and, and, and then if you tell me, oh, well, the human aspect becomes easy when you're doing like white glove luxury one-on-one and you've got a smaller customer database and you're able to cater to individual needs, that's not scalable. Well, I think that there is a way that it is scalable. I think there's a way to add qualitative data to the mix, to add that in there, to try to understand what truly represents value to customers. I think I get what you're saying. It's kind of like the... One of the most crucial elements in any relationship, right, is trust. So, like, how do you mm-hmm. measure trust? Yeah. And and elements like that. Is that what you're saying? Like the 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 why, right? And 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 the why could be because of trust. It could be mm-hmm. because of other elements, right? That are, that are, customers are brought into the proposition. Branding, of, social proof. There. Yes. The, there are these intangibles out there that are so hard to measure through quantitative data. You know, yes. how, how do you measure whether a customer identifies with your brand messaging through a survey? It becomes really difficult. It's very challenging. So most, most companies, especially tech companies, they skip that part entirely. You know, they, they, they go to their predictive analytics, which are amazing, amazing. You know, what that has brought in change for user experience in general has, has been off the charts, but it doesn't mean that we now get to ignore the human it doesn't mean that we get to skip empathizing and connecting one-on-one to listen and understand and find out why 
what what is it about what we're doing what are what are the elements that are that are truly swaying you in 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 to the decision to yes buy or no buy from somebody else especially in highly competitive markets right so is, so is that is what, that what your solution what does is, are we are we segueing nicely into ha- what you guys do um um in terms of your solution to kind of capture the voice of the customer and that kind of thing of course, absolutely. I'm a marketer. What do you think I'm doing? <laughs> well, <But played>. yes, absolutely. <laughs> absolutely. What what we do is we measure that value, right? The company is called Worthix because it's the Worth Index, right? So right. we're we're measuring what is value, whether it's tangible or intangible, right? And and we're able to tell companies, hey. Your customers are choosing you not because you have the best price or because you have the best quality, but because in the messaging that you're putting out, you're truly connecting with individuals and this is making you stronger as a brand. Or, hey, no matter how much you're investing in marketing, your product is shit. So if you don't switch that up, you know, so it's truly understanding the human psyche and understanding the relationship that the customer has with the product or service that you're putting out there to understand whether customers perceive that as valuable. And if they do perceive it as valuable, if, if this value is long-term or if it's short-term, right? So, I mean, there, there is something to be said about customer value and, and, and so how do you do that? I can't wait anymore. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm impatient. I'm impatient, Mary, Let me please. take a sip of Tell water us. to prepare for this. <laughs> okay. So a, a lot of our background is in marketing research, right? Okay. And our, our CEO and founder worked in market research for a really long time and using basic metrics like customer satisfaction, net promoter score, et cetera. And, and these are all metrics that are pulled from voice of customer data, right? But when it comes to the way that voice of customers practice in the market, most of us have, have received really annoying surveys that ask us a whole bunch of questions that don't matter to us at all, right? I'm yet to find somebody. Yeah, sorry, can I just say something? My, yeah, my experience on that is that when you're looking at market sentiment and all of the market research um, initiatives, right, um, mm-hmm. um, um, that I have been involved with in terms of capturing the voice of the customer, the reality is, right, is that in my experience, right, that mm-hmm. what is captured is not the truth. People will answer, right, stuff that, and they will tell you stuff, right, but it's not a true reflection on act, their actual reality. It's not how the market is behaving. That's mm-hmm. there's not there 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 may be some correlation, but it is just mm-hmm. not accurate in my experience. Yeah. And actually, by the way, who should own the market intelligence research um, strategy? By the way, in a company, is it um, marketing or should it be the CEO or who is it? Well, it, it depends. Okay. So if you're using it um, in, in, in the way that we do it, then it should be the chief marketing officer. If you're doing it transactionally, then potentially the chief operating officer. Okay. If so, you're using so. your voice of customer data to, to do a conformity check, to see if your processes are actually functioning, to see if the bathroom is clean and see if, if, if somebody greeted you and said good morning when you walked into the bank branch, then it should be the chief operating officer. But for me, that's such a waste of the most valuable gift that customers give us, which is their feedback and their time, Yeah. right? So yeah. It, nowadays it's so hard to get people to answer surveys because surveys have sucked for so long, right? Like when was the last time you got a survey and you said, yay, a survey. The only time people are ever excited to get a survey is when they want to rant, yeah. right? And then yeah. they have all that pent up anger that they want to get out. And then they're answering the survey and the survey is asking like, what's your age? 
right. you know, what did, what did the, and then it ends up putting them down some tangent yeah. to some department that they're not even interested in talking about. And when they finally have a chance to like, I'm going to blast these guys in the survey. Yeah. And then what happens to that data? It just, no, thanks. Those you know? buttons at the airport, the, the red, yellow, and, and, and green ones, I've seen people punch them, like yeah, literally, yeah. Like, yeah. like the red one. I've seen people come through yeah. and literally punch the red button. I mean, what do you expect, especially if you have like a really dirty bathroom? But in most cases, I see people feeling very skeptical about pressing that button on the way out of the restroom, right? But if yeah. you think about it from like an operational standpoint, if what you're looking to do is find out whether the bathroom needs to be cleaned, yeah. then, you know, hey, put, put, a, put a little, you know, little smiley faces there. Absolutely. But don't limit your voice of customer initiatives to conformity checks. Yeah. When customers are able to reveal whether or not they perceive value. Correct. Because if they perceive value, if they deem your product or service to be worth it, then they're going to spend money with you and they're going to continue to do so regardless of the price. I mean, we all know the big Apple example. Apple is so much more expensive than Samsung and Samsung offers so much more. Why do people keep spending so much money? Why is Apple the number one company in the world? Great what point. is it that does that? You know? Yeah. So if something is worth it, you need to understand why you need to understand what part of what you're delivering is what's truly tipping the scales in your favor or not. Right. Yeah. So, so you that's were talking about how you guys do it. So, so let's finish out on that. Right. And um, mm -hmm. just in terms of um, what, cause I still am, I still haven't grasped it fully. Right. So, so the, how, how do you do it? Well, we changed a couple of things in the way that we extract voice of customer data. Okay. So, you know, there's that problem that we have of, hey, the data is really long, the survey is really long, it's really boring, and you don't get to talk about what you want, right? That's because this, this survey is company-led. The company built questions that, that force you into the standard of answering the questions that they think are important to you, or they need to answer internally and they're using up your time to get that answer. Yeah, it's like right? if we, so we did, did this podcast and we gave you a load of pre-canned questions, we would exactly. be we would be running just our <laughs> podcast, right? Instead of it being your podcast. Exactly. Okay, got it. Exactly. Right. Um, so what we did is we kind of switched that around and, and we gave the power to the customer. So the customer leads the direction of the survey. And, and we did this by adding an AI module to the front end of the survey, the part of the survey that talks to customers, as well as the back end, which is the part that processes it with natural language processing, et cetera. Right. So we collect better data because the customer is leading and they're able to talk about what matters to them so Give that's us an the example of that in operation um, if you don't mind so imagine you get a survey and the survey is asking you um how you felt about your experience at a restaurant right um and then from the your response the ai is able to identify which part of your sentence is is referring to a specific experience that the company okay so am i speaking that or am i writing it or how am i doing it you're writing it voice is will essentially convert in voice to text in any sort of 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 technology anyway so it can be done either way right so if you're writing it or if you're speaking it the ai is able to identify the topics in there 
that seem to be impacting your experience most heavily. And it'll dig into that. It'll deep dive into that experience and allow you to expand on the elements of that experience that are weighing more heavily on your decision to buy or not. So there's a lot of mathematics involved. There's a lot of regression analysis. There's tons of secret sauce, just like endless secret so then sauce. It present, does it present me then with the next question based on how I answer the first question? Is it? Yes. Okay, yes, got it, it now. I'm with In, you now. Until it has concluded enough data to understand what sort of relationship you have with that experience. And then once you do that, they'll move on to the next question. Now, is it possible to keep probing and keep probing and keep probing? Yes, but you don't really want to do that because that that provokes the customer to get very bitter and angry and potentially punch the screen like with that red button, right? So yeah, because if, if you ask why questions, people get very defensive, you know? So it's like, why yeah. did you wear that sweater? And you're like, oh, what's what's wrong with the sweater? You know, you get yeah. very defensive. <laughs> and if you say, because but, I like it, and then they say, why do you like it? Yeah. You know, and, and you keep going kind of like a child, you know, yeah. where it gets yeah. really frustrating, yeah. you know? So we don't want to do that because no. that would, you know, be a negative experience. Okay. But then the way that we're able to process this data as well, and what we're able to deliver to companies, since we're getting better data, better data, the results are better. How do you, you know? sell so it? Do, do times... you have salespeople? Um, is it something that you consume online? What's the model? Is it a, is it a product led growth strategy, a PLG strategy? Is it you know B two B like SaaS motion? What is it? So it's B2B SaaS, but we're enterprise focused because one of the main things is that the value that we're trying to provide to organizations is the ability to mesh quantitative and qualitative data at scale, yeah. which we believe is one of the biggest pains for chief marketers, right? Because you're sitting there, you don't know which questions to ask. You don't know how to dialogue with your customer in a way that's valuable to them and to you. What you end up providing most of the time with these surveys is a bad experience to customers and a bad experience for companies. Cause like you said, they're not actually getting data that matters. There no. isn't a strong correlation ever between, Oh, my NPS scores and the bottom line. They're like universes apart, you know? So, yeah. I mean, I mean, that situation needs to be fixed and, and, and the way that it's fixed, isn't that you can't ask net promoter score. It isn't that you can't check if your bathrooms are clean. It just means, um, collecting more valuable information when you have the chance to speak to your customer right yeah because you're doing so, it anyway so you might as well you're make doing it, it anyway best. yeah you might as well make it the best you might as well make it a hell of a lot more effective um, and, and here's here's like the interesting part if if the bathroom experience is truly affecting customers perception of value it'll come up in the survey yeah, anyway yeah yeah you know, that's really cool. So there and you go. What do you integrate with then? Um, what, what, what's necessary for you to integrate in to make this more effective? Um, um, I'd imagine, I don't know, do you, do you integrate into CRM systems and data? Obviously we on can. the back end, you, yeah. you integrate into databases. Yeah. And stuff, but... mm -hmm. We can, and that allows us to do things like segmentation that we can't do otherwise, right? Because of privacy laws, we can't just go in there and start directly speaking to customers. It's rude, right? And it's also illegal in a lot of places in the world, right? So so when we integrate with a CRM, we're able to qualify a lot of these responses and segment them properly to be able to get more intelligence. So the the of course, the highest performance of the platform is when we have the segmentation because we're somehow connected to 
um, you know, the CRM or the database. And when there is transactional data, when there is predictive analytics in place, then that's when it becomes beautiful because then you're able to correlate transactions with value. And that's when you can create a monetary value for each of the index points, you know? And, and that's when the machine truly thrives and, and creates something of real value for organizations. In terms of customer acquisition for you, right? Um, and, and I know our audience will be curious, right? What's kicking ass at the moment in terms of top of funnel, right? You know, demand generation or lead gen, right? What's, what's really working? What, um, these days, um, I know a lot of people depending on their solution, they're saying, well, you know, we, we really still feel that uh, outreach, um, you know, uh, in terms of um, outbound email is is relatively effective, you know, uh, but there's all kinds of things, right, from activities that you can, and, and sources of pipeline, you know, from webinars to whatever. But for you guys, what's 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 the what's the the most effective source of leads or lead gen for you guys these days? It's it's a blend of outbound and inbound. Again, no silver bullet, right? We we invest a lot in our inbound content. Uh, I have a podcast that I host that's been running now for 10 seasons. And that's something that tends to bring a lot of awareness. Um, it, it provides um, high level practitioners in the market with a lot of value. And we see that reflected in our outbound campaigns. So when people receive outbound communication, either from email or from an SDR, they create that association with the value that they receive through the podcast and the blog. Love it. So in any argument for most podcasting is by far the most <laughs> superior medium to reach your audience. No question. whatsoever. Yeah, but it, it is slow. It's, it's not an instant strategy. You know, it's not like ramen noodles that in three minutes it's ready, you know? So you do have to have a CEO that believes in it and that allows you time which is something that a lot of CMOs don't have, right? The CMO tenure is the shortest in the C-suite. And especially if you, if you work at a large organization or a publicly traded company that they want to see results and shareholders want to see those leads converting immediately and they want to see initiatives that it's like, right? If, if that's what it is, if you're focused on quarterly results, then a long-term inbound strategy isn't going to work. True. You know, so, you know, we started this podcast in, in 2018, the mid 2017, and it's 2022 and we're starting to reap the fruits. You know, of course, this fruit is a lot more solid and the quality is a lot higher, but yep. it does take time. And there are so many companies that have abandoned inbound because the results aren't quick enough. But an another reason that inbound has failed for a lot of organizations is because they go at it um, in, in, in a very copycat way, you know, they, they set up this best practices blog and they set up this best practices, social media strategy with a best practices, everything else. And then all of a sudden what you have is an entire market that's saturated with exactly the same thing. It's like, you know, here in the U S there's a joke that we're stepping into Han Solo season because it's fall and all of the women wear like tight leggings and knee high boots and, and a little, you know, vest over their white sweaters and everybody looks exactly the same and you can't tell anybody apart. Right. I mean, there's, it's hard for you to perceive beauty and unique and, and value in something that's exactly the same as everyone else. You know, so all of these companies that all of a sudden had the exact same strategy across the board, 
And on the other end, leads were going in there looking to find real value and finding out that they had just been duped into some marketer blog, you know? And, and what that does is it creates this adverse reaction because you feel manipulated, you feel misled, you feel tricked. And then that you now start rejecting any content that represents that object of your hatred. You yeah, know, I, I agree with you. And it's, it's that, you see, if you take the long-term focus, and this is something I'm only realizing over the last few years is that like, we're wired just for, for short term, you know, and the, the, the long-term play kind of gives um, what I call asymmetric upside. If you are, if, if, if the C-suite and, and, and your, your chief executive are aligned with allowing enough time um, to, to produce that asymmetric upside. Because, you know, I have a saying, you know, when in doubt, zoom out. <laughs> and mm-hmm. you can get so caught up here, um, you know, in, in the short term. Like most companies can't see beyond next quarter. Like mm-hmm. that's the mindset, you know, of the, of the entire business. And, you know, it's, it's ridiculous, you know, both in terms of what you have to do. I mean, it takes... 18 months minimum to build any kind of repeatable outreach strategy, for example, you know, and yeah. even at that, right. There's, you know, a lot of iterations that have to happen, et cetera, you know, and yeah, it's, it's, um, it's very interesting. The point you make about, you know, that kind of homogenous kind of, you know, approach from a me too offering around, content because you're exactly right i go i see certain companies and i'm going you know what that could be that company and um, with respect to the content and the five things or the three things or the, you know the best practices and, and and everybody just becomes equally average or less than yeah. average and, and john this doesn't mean that you shouldn't have that strategy in yeah, place. yeah yeah i have you know plenty of those in place as well because you know at this point we're ticking off boxes but it means not limiting yourself to that Right. So yeah. if, if you want to copy best practices, then go right ahead. Just don't expect different results from doing the same thing. You know, if you want to get different results, then you need to try something different. You need to be at the crest of the new wave when it comes around. You know, that's how the podcasting worked with us. When we started podcasting, very few people were doing it. Sure. So it actually made a difference and it made an impact. Right. So I think that we have to keep one macro lens this looking at the big picture, but we've got to have that micro lens too, keeping up with the, the trends that are temporary because one way or another, there's a reason that these temporary trains gain, gain traction, right? So that doesn't mean jumping onto every TikTok dance in order to make your brand relevant, but it does mean understanding whether or not that TikTok dance is valuable to your customer, sure. right? And if it is, then maybe you should be doing a TikTok dance, you know? So No TikTok dances over here. <laughs> Not me. No, that ship has sailed in my world. I'm, I'm pretty into Instagram, but that's the limit of my coolness, quite frankly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it doesn't go any further. I hear you. Yeah, yeah. Um, so tell us this as we round the corner here and wrap up. Uh, we often ask our guests to share tips and tricks and tools that they can't live without. Um, you, you've been very, very generous with your time, sharing your superpowers and giving some great insights into how and why, which has been really, really helpful. 
For you, what makes the difference in your world in keeping you as productive as you clearly are? Folks have shared with us, you know, their calendar, their iPhone watch, uh, their iWatch, whatever you want to call it. Uh, their pen and paper is a go-to. Apple Watch. Apple Watch. There you go. <laughs> Which you've just shown on screen for those of you on audio. Uh, what works in your world to stay productive and stay uh, on your A-game each and every day? Uh, you know, I don't. I don't really look at it uh, daily, weekly, monthly when it comes to my productivity. I, I have a team that does a lot of the operational things for me. And um, I'm really lucky to be able to count on people. And that frees me up to do what I believe is the most important aspect of my job, which is determining strategy. And, and the way that I do that is by doing a whole lot of reading. Yeah, I do a lot of research. And the one thing that I noticed through the research, especially in marketing, and you know, we do a lot of account-based marketing, et cetera, and we have to stay on top of the needs and the trends of the markets that we cater to, and they change so quickly. You know, I did a really in-depth research on, you know, the economic downturn two months ago. When I started reading papers earlier on this week, I was like, everything changed. We need to redo all of our campaigns. Yep. All of our ads have to change because they're no longer a reflection of the market. So staying, having someone who is an agent of keeping up with the changing times is so crucial. And it requires someone with a certain level of seniority to be able to discern which pains are truly relevant to that market and how we can approach and address those pains, you know? So I would say that that research that I do and it, you know, I, I end up giving a lot of money to consultant companies that are putting out reports because I consume so much material and so much data to try to understand where the big brains in the market truly think that things are going and then keeping up to see how those things actually come to pass or not. You know, so that would be mine. No, Tony Roberts said it and he said leaders are readers and there's no question that is not the case. Um, they consume large volumes of data and actually apply it and take the action, which is the step a lot of folks miss. So look, can't yeah, thank yeah. you enough for your appearance today. Huge value and insight shared on the mic today. Appreciate your time. And I think our listeners will get a huge kick out of the show. So acknowledging your input, much appreciated. Thank you guys so much. Happy to be here. Thanks for the invite. Yeah, an honor and a pleasure. Um, Mary, wishing um, you and everybody over at uh, Worth X or Worth IX or how do you pronounce that? Worth X? Worth, Worth X. Worth X. Great. Everybody at Worth X, uh, nothing but the best for the future. And uh, yeah, look, we, we look forward Thank to uh, possibly having you back on the show again to kind of share some of the insights around those key trends. Yeah. You've been listening to the Global Tech Leaders Podcast, designed for both established and aspiring career-focused tech rock stars, as well as helping leadership figure out how to speak global in today's multicultural world. For further details, check out sf-talent.com.